Welcome to the snooze button. Hey, I'm Brittany of Brittany She and Sleep. I've got 99 problems, but my kid's sleeping isn't one. Hey, you guys. Welcome to another episode of the snooze button. I don't know about you, but I'm a little tired today. Went over to a friend's last night. The wine was flowing. The laughter was flowing. Stayed out a little too late. And thus, I am recording today's episode. It's 12.58 p.m. That's fine. You guys will be okay. It'll be like an exciting surprise when it pops up later today in your Apple or Spotify. Okay, so today's episode, I was inspired. I had another episode planned, and this one is way more fun, this topic. I was inspired to have this episode because, oh my God, I'm like, my my like speaker microphone thing smells like coffee because I spilled my iced coffee on it yesterday. That's great. Hopefully this works. Hopefully this episode can still air and I didn't ruin my my stupid microphone. Okay. I was inspired to do this episode because a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, is currently taking the baby sleep and schedule course. And she sent me a message. See, this is a perk of being like one of my bridesmaids or very close friends is that like I won't be mad if you DM me questions because with everyone else, I'm like, guys, this is my full time job. I can't I can't work all day and then also text a bunch of people all night about sleep or else I would be a shell of a human. But she texted me and told me that her pediatrician had told her to put rice cereal in her son's bottle. And I was uh, deeply triggered by that. And what was funny is when I posted about it on Instagram, I was shocked how many people were like, wait, why is that bad? And that leads me to believe this was not an isolated incident. And I was inspired to do an episode just specifically on antiquated sleep advice. And I actually just posted on Instagram and I did get an additional topic I'm going to talk about. Uh, I was just asking basically like what are antiquated sleep suggestions and advice you've been given that you want clarity on and I have four specifically that I'm going to speak to that I that I think are the most common now I would like to say and qualify what I'm about to say I am not saying you should ignore your pediatrician at all nor am I lumping all pediatricians together and saying they don't know what they're talking about not at all My pediatrician is exceptional. Everyone in his practice is exceptional. I've had, for the most part, good experiences with pediatricians, both in New York and here in LA. Don't have a lot of complaints. But you can imagine through my work, and I care very much about what people's pediatricians are telling them because often it's impacting things related to their sleep and feeding, of course. Um, I hear some really crazy shit. I'm going to be honest with you. Some things that like categorically are wrong, are incredibly dangerous, And most often, they're things that directly contradict what the American Academy of Pediatrics is telling parents, right? So it's like a pediatrician going against what their own governing body is telling them. Here are two things I will say on that matter. And the reason I'm I'm harping on the pediatrician part versus like it's something your grandma or your mom tells you or your friend is I think, of course, we all take something a doctor says much more seriously than like your friend told you she put rice cereal in her baby's bottle and you could be like I don't know that sounds kind of weird I'm not going to do that it's very different than if your doctor tells you to do it right so two things I will tell you number one remember that we are all human it doesn't matter what your job is it doesn't matter what your qualifications are we are all human and we can be presented with the same set of information and have different interpretations of it okay at the end of the day we are human and the the pediatrician thing sticks out to me so much because I hear such a strong variance in you know I will have kids with the exact same age weight gender feeding issue sleep issue whatever and they are being given completely contradicting advice depending on who their pediatrician is right we are all human the same thing if you work with another sleep consultant they might tell you something that I would be like that's crazy I really try to come to the table always 
grounded in data and based on logic, right? So I'm telling you things that are like proven to be true statistically and also are logical. So as a parent, if you were given advice or you know directives from even someone who's a physician, if they are unable to tell you like why that's a good suggestion or it just logically sounds wrong to you, it's okay to push back and ask why and it's okay to get a second opinion. I've a handful of times had clients switch pediatricians because they felt like they were dismissed or the things they were being told they knew weren't safe and that was obviously concerning to them, right? So that's always okay. There's nothing wrong with advocating for yourself and asking questions. Um, the other thing to remember, oh my God, I just forgot the other thing I was going to say. My brain is like, my brain is on the fritz. Oh, here's what I was going to say. The other thing I would remember is that any doctor who's a generalist, which like a general pediatrician is, like if I go to the doctor, right, if I was like, oh, I'm worried about, you know, my headaches or something, you, you first you go to a generalist and they will give you an initial exam. They will say, I, I, you know, I think you should talk to this specialist, right? So in the same way that if you went to your pediatrician and you were like, I feel like he or she should be saying more words by this point and they're not, your pediatrician wouldn't spend 20 minutes walking you through a bunch of speech development concepts. They would refer you to their you know, preferred speech therapist or they would tell you to look for one, right? The issue is for whatever reason, that doesn't seem to happen a lot of times with sleep. And sometimes even with lactation, there are situations where I've said to a client, like, I would really go, go get a, a lactation consultant if this is concerning you, because that does seem strange. And the doctor telling you it's no big deal is like not helpful if there is a problem and you want to speak to a specialist in that area. So remember that with sleep. If your child isn't sleeping well and you're getting bizarre advice that doesn't align with what you think you should be doing, then go seek out someone like myself or read a sleep book written by a sleep expert or whatever, right? It's okay. It's okay to go to a specialist when you have a special situation, just the same way you would as an adult. If you went into adult to your generalist and you're just sobbing hysterically and saying you felt suicidal, your doctor wouldn't start running a therapy session with you. They would be like, here are some psychiatrists in the area that I think you should check out, right? I just feel like that needs to be said. Okay. So I'm going to talk about four different pieces of antiquated sleep advice. And in all of these cases, there is no upside to doing these things. They're not going to help anything. And in all of them, there are pretty big negative potential consequences. And in three of the four, they're like theoretically life and death and like very dangerous downsides, okay? So not I'm not trying to be scary. I'm just saying like that's why I'm, I'm calling these ones out specifically because there's literally no upside to doing them, only downsides. Okay, the first one, as you can guess, yes, I'm going to talk about rice cereal in bottles. So the antiquated advice, you know, when we, like I'm 37, when like we were babies was, oh, if you put rice cereal in a baby's bottle, it will help them sleep longer. We now have the data to support that is literally just completely untrue and if you've talked to including my friend here um, who had sent me these beautiful flowers after I yelled at her and said stop putting rice cereal in his bottle guess what wasn't helping him at all so it is not going to help your baby sleep there are many many foundational structural pieces you can put in place to your baby's day and night to help them sleep better rice cereal is not one of them it also can increase the risk of choking so food and this includes purees and a thickened bottle which you just should never be giving a baby, but if you were, should never be offered at an incline, right? You should never have a baby tipped even a slight degree when they're eating any type of thickened solid food, right? That is a major choking risk. So now to be clear, could you combine breast milk or formula with 
like an oatmeal or a rice or something as an introductory food? Sure, you can, but your baby will be sitting up in a high chair. Which brings me to the other questionable safety issue with putting rice cereal in bottles is that oftentimes when I've seen it suggested for a baby, it's one who is not able to be eating solid foods yet, right? It's a three-month-old or a young four-month-old, sometimes even a five-month-old, but it is a baby who cannot support their head steadily on their own and they need help to sit upright. Your baby, even if I know that you know the range where we offer solids to babies is somewhere between four and six months. I strongly advocate for six months for many reasons of which I will not get into right this moment. But even if you were starting solids earlier, your baby has to be able to sit up on their own and support their head. If they're any bit wobbly, if they cannot sit up unsupported, they should not be starting solids. And I rarely see this magic trick that doesn't work at all and is dangerous suggested for babies who are not even at that point yet. So in general, I will say too, I never suggest rice cereal as a food for babies, period. And this is a perfect example of another time when, depending on who your pediatrician is, you'll hear different suggestions, right? So most pediatricians now don't typically suggest rice cereal as your first food, but some still will. I think this is more of a personal choice, but I will tell you why I don't even suggest it at all, is it does have higher levels of arsenic, which is a carcinogen, in it compared to other cereals and grains. And the AAP, their suggestion is that you start with oatmeal as an alternative if you had been wanting to use rice cereal. Personally, I like to think of, and don't get me wrong, there are cases when you're using, you know, like a flash frozen service like Raised Real or things like Little Spoon, where it's a combination of veggies and fruits and and proteins and things um, that are in a puree. That's great. That's fine. They're mashed. Awesome. But in general, I try to think about like, what are things that I'm going to be serving and actually eating in our home with my kids? And that's what I'm offering them. Like, I'm not a big oatmeal person. There's no reason you like need to be using oatmeal. So if it's something you want to do, for sure, like do rice cereal if you really want or do oatmeal. But there's nothing wrong with not doing either of those things. Like there's no rule or logic necessarily around that. So if you started with like a puree of sweet potato or something, great. But anyway, point being, it's not going to help your baby sleep. It's a huge choking risk. It's often offered in an incline, could have arsenic, et cetera. There's just no reason to do it. Just, you know, just don't do it. Okay. Our next antiquated piece of sleep advice that we want to avoid is keeping baby sleeping on using a wedge, a positioner, some sort of slight incline if they have reflux or they're congested, like they're sick. Okay. Here's a couple things. And I don't want to do like too deep of a dive into reflux because I think that deserves its own entire episode. But more than half of babies show signs of reflux. Okay, it's really, really common. Not only is reflux itself and even in very mild forms common with babies, but it is also much like teething, which is another one that's going to come in here. It's also often like a bit of a scapegoat when there's something else going on. And I want to be very clear here that I'm not minimizing how serious and painful and distressing a baby with reflux can be, especially severe reflux. I've had many clients who have really bad reflux and it's awful. The baby's so uncomfortable. They're trying lots of different things, okay? I will say though too that I have just as many clients where the baby, either they did have a mild form of reflux or they didn't at all, but the child was exhausted and they were so tired that they were just uncomfortable, they were fussy and cranky, and then once they're sleeping well and they're eating more efficiently, suddenly these mysterious reflux signs have disappeared. So I say that as I tell you, no matter what, you always have a baby sleeping flat on a flat, firm mattress 
just with the top sheet on their back no matter what it doesn't matter how severe the reflux is so one of the most common reasons parents will say that they want to put a baby with reflux in some sort of like wedge or positional or like elevated with you know like a, a muslin thing underneath the mattress and just for a slight incline is because they say well you know if they cough up fluid or they throw up or something they're going to choke on it they will not babies automatically cough or whatever the like fluid is that's coming up, they spit it up because of their gag reflex. So there's a natural prevention of them choking. It's actually significantly more dangerous for a baby to be on their stomach, which is what I have occasionally seen clients do at a doctor's recommendation because of reflux. Then they are laying in their vomit and they will literally suffocate, okay? So it's really, really, this one I think of all of them is probably the most serious. We never, have a baby sleep in an elevated position because of reflux or because of sickness. So here's another downside to it, okay? If you have your baby using a wedge or an incline besides them potentially shifting and turning and suffocating on that product itself, if you have ever been around a newborn or a young baby in a crib, they are like spinners. They are moving around, they are shimming up to the corner, they are flipping to the other side, right? It's it's actually really, I feel like so many of my clients are like fascinated by this when they go through the process, especially if the baby had been in like a snoo or something where they didn't have a lot of mobility and then suddenly they have it and they're like, why is she up in the corner? Why did she spin around? Because of that, the chances of your baby, even if it was safe and we wanted them to be like up in this position, the chances of them moving the opposite way where now their head is at a, their feet are at an incline basically and their head is below is really high. And that is like dangerous on so many levels right now. First of all, if if it was even going to help them to be slightly elevated, now it's, we're making it worse than if they were flat. And that's super dangerous for them to be like hanging upside down partially, right? So not safe. No, 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 no. If your baby does have reflux, okay, there are other things you can be doing to help them that are not unsafe. So things to consider, and again, I'll do a whole reflux episode at some point, but Pacing feedings is really important. Lots of burps in between feeds. So for some babies, they can guzzle an entire bottle. They can nurse a full time without a, you can just burp them at the end. If you have a baby who has a lot of gas or has a propensity for for reflux, then you want to be burping them a lot throughout the feeds. You're really pacing those feeds. It could be changing the nipple size if you're using bottles. It could be um, switching the formula that they're on. If they're on formula, there are ones that are intended for babies with reflux that are more gentle. And of course, keeping them elevated and burping them well after feeds. And remember, too, that if you are following an ideal schedule with your baby, regardless of their age, if it's a newborn or older, they're eating, then they're having playtime, then they're sleeping. So your baby has tons of time to digest their food before they go down for any naps. And when it's bedtime, if you work with me, you know I suggest the feed right before the bedtime routine starts. So they would still have a little bit of time where they could be held upright doing another activity before they're laid down to help get those extra burps out okay there's also of course probiotics and medication that you can talk to your doctor about if you identify a baby with a really severe reflux that might need medication that's always on the table as well okay next one whiskey or oragel on gums for teething you guys know how i feel about teething i have an entire episode about it if you go back and look there is an episode where I specifically talk about teething, which I consider the ultimate scapegoat of babyhood. Teeth get blamed for pretty much everything. Everything bad that a baby's doing, every time they're fussy, every time they're not sleeping well. I mean, if I had a dollar for every time somebody told me their baby had was teething when they were, I would be a bazillionaire. So 
that's a separate thing. But we never, ever want to use alcohol in any way, shape, or form to soothe a baby's gum. This is a perfect example of it doesn't do anything. So even in the cases where you're like, no, I did put whiskey on my baby's gum, and then they like settled and fell asleep, you literally drugged your baby to sleep, <laughs> right? Like, it might have helped them fall asleep. You should not be giving a baby alcohol, though. That's not like that's not one of my tricks. If you take my course, you're not going to f- discover that what I'm actually telling people to do is give your baby a margarita, right? So we should not be giving babies alcohol. What can be mistaken as helping them is like you literally drugged your baby to sleep. But it's not actually going to soothe their gums. And Origel and other, you know, of these kind of like these over-the-counter teething gels um, used to be like on the, you know, I remember when, as a kid, I remember even as like a high school babysitter, I remember having babies, you know, that were in my care where the parents would say, oh, if they're teething, give them some Origel. Because I remember one time being like, what does this do? And putting it in my own mouth and being like, and my mouth is numb. I literally did that when I was 15. Um, we never want to do that. Okay, so there has been more research that has come out in the last couple of years that led the FDA to advise against using benzocaine, which is the antiseptic that's found in, in Origel and things like that in kids under two. And if your child is over two, Please don't give them more gel anyway, but especially for babies, um, because it can cause this rare but really serious and sometimes like fatal condition. I'm gonna mispronounce it. I don't even want to tell you guys the name of it. It's like mehamoglobinema, something like that. I'm not good with words. Words are hard, um, but it's just bad. It's oxygen is carried into the bloodstream, reduced. Sorry, oxygen carried through the bloodstream is reduced to levels that are not safe, right? So it's it's a serious condition. It can cause babies to have trouble breathing. Their lips are turning blue. It's like a whole thing. So this is a lot like the sleep elevated with reflux or congestion issue where it's like the potential for something very serious far outweighs the theoretical plus of like you numbed your baby's gums or your baby was slightly elevated in the crib, right? You can hold your baby if you need to until it's time for them to sleep. And there are plenty of things, again, we can go look in the, uh, the teething episode for more details, but lots of things you can do to help your baby's teeth that don't involve using Orgel and definitely not alcohol. Okay, so our last one, and this is one that somebody did submit on Instagram that I'd actually already put on here because I think it's a great one. This is the only one where we're not as much worried about safety as we are just like health and wellness and just your life. Never wake a sleeping baby. How many times have you heard like a grandma say that? So 1,000% we need to wake sleeping babies. Now, at a certain point, we do not need to wake them at night. However, let's think about naps, right? If I'm looking at a client's intake and I see that their baby took, their, uh, you know, a young baby, their, their two-month-old took a three-hour nap, that's not a good thing to me. And here is why. If you are not waking a baby up during the day to feed them, they are getting more sleep than they need during the day and they are not eating enough because babies need to eat relatively frequently. And by relatively frequently, and I'm talking in the newborn stage, I'm saying like about every three hours. I'm not saying on demand constantly. I'm saying about every three hours. If they are taking long naps and not able to eat about every three hours, they will be hungry at night because then what you're doing is essentially inadvertently creating day-night confusion. Now what they've done is they've slept too much and not eaten enough during the day. So what is that going to cause at night? They're going to need to eat more to compensate for it, and they won't need to sleep as much because they got all the sleep they needed during the day, right? So you're creating a bad experience for you as a parent, and of course not the one that's most ideal for babies. So absolutely, we need to wake babies up to eat during the day from their naps because some babies are really sleepy. 
I mean, with all of my kids, I feel like I was waking them up all the time to eat as little babies. Um, and that is why they were healthy and growing and happy sleepers. Now, the other piece of this too is in the first few weeks at night now, so that was, we're talking about naps for a second there. Now we move to night sleep. So in the first month of your baby's life, the first four weeks, their tummies are so little. And again, I did a set, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna link both of these, all of the episodes I've talked about today, I'm gonna link in the show notes here. I'm gonna link the one about teething. I'm gonna link, what else did I talk about? Um, Starting solids. And I will talk about weaning and feeding on demand because those are, I think, really relevant topics here. At night, in those first, in the first month of life, your baby needs to eat about every three hours around the clock because their tummy is so small They cannot take in enough food during the day to last them throughout the night, right? They need to eat more frequently. As they get older, a rough rule of thumb that you can have, if you've taken my courses, you know this, your baby can go about as many hours at night without food as weeks they are old, as long as they're healthy, even if they're a preemie, even if they're really big, even if they're really small, as long as they're healthy and growing. So that would mean, theoretically, that if you had a five-week-old, they roughly can go about four hours without food overnight, right? So there are situations, I mean, I don't think this happens very often, but if, you know, if I had a four-week-old that was going like six hours without food, I probably would wake them at that point to feed them if they were going far beyond those hours, right, that they that they need to eat. Um, just because they can't take in enough food during the day, like I said, to compensate for what they need at night. Until you reach 10 weeks old, at which point if you are ready for it and you feel like your baby's ready and they're healthy, you can start the formal process of them like sleeping through the night. So really thinking about this, waking them before they're a month old and then between weeks four and nine, thinking of it. And listen, not every baby's going to do it perfectly. If you're listening to this with a seven week old being like, she only goes five hours at night, that's fine. But it's a good rough metric to have that they can go about as many weeks without, well, about as many hours at night without food as weeks they are old. So those are the four, I think, most common antiquated sleep advice, advices, is that a word? Sleep uh, sleep suggestions that parents are given. If you ever have confusion, again, about what's being recommended to you, please seek a second opinion, ask me in my Q&A, talk to a different doctor. It's never stupid. It's never dumb. It's never silly to ask questions. You should understand what's going on with your baby's health and feel confident questioning things and making sure you're doing what's best for them. And if you're listening to this, my guess is you are. All right, guys, I hope you have a great rest of your week and I'll see you next week. Loving the snooze button? Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And please leave a review. I will read it and internalize it. So make sure it's very glowing. If you're interested in working with me or learning more about my courses, head to britneysheehan.com or follow me on Instagram at britneysheehansleep.